Hello and welcome to the St Mungo's podcast. My name is Owen Colgan and I am a doctor in emergency medicine working in the west of Scotland. And this is a series of interviews with experts in their field, people from whom we believe we can gain new insights and knowledge which will help inform and refine our practice. We hope to put these out every two weeks and they will be available on all usual outlets such as iTunes and also on our website which is www.stmungos-ed.com and there you will also find the show notes to accompany the podcasts as well as lots of other additional educational resources from the St Mungos team. So without further ado, this is episode number one. Today we are talking with Dr Randall McRoberts. Randall is an emergency medicine consultant amongst many other things. He has quite a varied uh, life in emergency medicine, which is what we're going to talk about today. So, Randall, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, Owen. It's delightful to see you. Thank (laughs) you for having me on your podcast. Thank Thank you you very much. Well, this is actually podcast number one, so we're very honoured to have you. So, I thought probably a good place to start, Randall, if you don't mind, would be just to talk a little bit about your career in emergency medicine. So, if you don't mind taking us from your training through to the present day. I, um, I've enjoyed a very varied uh, training and career so far. I was an undergraduate in Dundee and after that I did my house jobs around Dundee and then started on a GP vocational training scheme at the time on the west of Scotland. I completed that and uh, that was interspersed with time in the Antarctic as a, a, as a doctor for the British Antarctic Survey. And after that, I worked as a non-principal GP for a few years and uh, did uh, a few other things, did some expedition work, um, did a master's degree. And ultimately, uh, my desires in medicine led me towards emergency medicine in Australia and then back to Scotland. And that has culminated in me being a consultant in emergency medicine in Edinburgh at the Royal Infirmary. And I combine that with my work uh, doing retrieval medicine and pre-hospital medicine with the Emergency Medical Retrieval Service. So amongst other things, I'm very drawn to the, the to your experience in the Antarctic, which is quite a, a, a new thing. I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who's done that type of work before. So I was curious just to ask you how that impacted on your life and your career and what you learned from that experience. So good question, Owen. Um, It was a life-changing experience for me. Um, The desire to go there was born out of a love of my winter sports um, and a a real interest in uh, the wilderness that is the Antarctic and the history of the Antarctic. Um, So I had in total three years working for the British Antarctic Survey. I spent two of those years working in the Antarctic. First of all, uh, on a 19-month stint there at Rothera Base on the Antarctic Peninsula. And uh, I then came back, did a master's degree, um, and then I was asked to go back to the Antarctic by Bass, and I went back for a further seven months. And during that time, it taught me a huge amount about myself. Um, It taught me my strengths. It taught me my weaknesses. Uh, It showed them very clearly. Uh, The Antarctic was a bit of a mirror in in a lot of ways. Um, And that 
has given me an insight into the things that I love, the things I need, and um, the things that I need to be happy. Um, so hugely beneficial for me, a, a hugely positive experience. And do you think that's shaped some of the decisions you've made in your career ever since? Massively. Um, it redirected me towards emergency medicine to start with. Uh, the training in Plymouth um, has um, definitely prodded me towards emergency work. Um, and I followed that and Edinburgh allowed me to fulfill that desire. So when I was doing a little bit of research about you, Randall, I, I asked some of my colleagues who know you through other aspects of their work through retrieval medicine. And the universal kind of feedback I would get on you is that you're extremely content in your job. Everyone would say, oh my gosh, I wish I was as content as Randall was. So I wanted to talk, if you don't mind, about contentment in the job. And I wondered what you felt were the keys to being happy in emergency medicine. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I feel quite humble that people would see me that way, uh, Owen. That's very kind. Um, so, first of all, I think you have to come at it from the right angle. And to be a doctor in the first place, whatever type of a doctor you are, is a privilege. Um, so if you start from there, I think everything is on the up. Um, we all work very, very hard to get to the stage where we qualify as doctors. And to progress in emergency medicine towards consultancy, as you know very well, and all of our colleagues know, takes a huge amount of dedication, effort, uh, continuing work throughout your career. So... I think if you come into it with your eyes open, if you recognize that you're in for a life of very hard work, and if you also recognize that if you feed your interest and enthusiasm, that will allow you to sustain a career with a smile on your face. And if you don't mind me asking, was it always like that? Have you always in your career been happy? Or were there ever times you felt that it wasn't for you or you weren't satisfied? I was wondering, has it always been rosy, let's say? No, no. I, th I think if, if I'm being open about that, uh, there are times that I think we all have doubts. Uh, I think whenever we've had a bad day or a bad week or uh, we've maybe um, had a run of difficult shifts, um, tricky presentations, difficult diagnoses, difficult interactions with either patients or other specialties, then I think we all have our doubts. My main doubt came very early on in my career um, during the very difficult years as a, as a JHO and an early SHO when the hours were long, when there really didn't seem any light at the end of the tunnel. But... If you stick with it, if you have confidence that things will be the job that you always wanted it to be, I think that you can work through those times. Having a good social support network, close family and people who are able to help you through that is massively important. 
So Randall, I know that you've given quite a bit of thought towards your career and the career of others actually in emergency medicine, how to make the most of it, how to sustain it, how to be happy in the job. So I thought we would try and create a a kind of fake scenario. So we're going to follow the career of someone, kind of a rapid run through someone's career. And at each point, we're going to use you as as the mentor if that's okay and and I kind of get some of your tips and and your advice towards people who may be at those different stages in their career things that would maybe support and help them um you know make the most of where they're at in in their career if that makes sense so so what we're going to do so we're going to create a a doctor called joe let's say and joe is an fy2 and we're going to follow her through her career so joe is an fy2 she comes to work in your emergency department she's not quite sure what she wants to do with her career yet but she's quite enjoying emergency medicine but she's heard some of the negative stories and she comes to you for advice and she says look randall you know what do you think of a career in emergency medicine what would you advise people about entering emergency medicine as a trainee these are situations that you and i will find ourselves in regularly um we're lucky enough to have uh, foundation year doctors coming coming through so for joe fy2 i would be saying uh, it is a fantastic career to pursue uh, you need to be aware of what it entails you need to witness what it's like to be in a busy ED um, on a regular basis. Witness the stress, witness the pressure, witness the suffering, witness the relief of suffering, witness the expertise and the joy that it gives to improve people's lives to save life um, so lots of exposure and I would encourage them to work in a busy department and I would encourage them to seek out people that they find inspirational so Joe takes your advice and she becomes an ACCS trainee and it just so happens her first um, six months is in emergency medicine and she's back at your hospital. So she's fairly happy with her decision, but she comes to you and she, she liked your advice the first time around. And she she asks you, you know, what would you recommend for her during her training years? What aspects or skills should she develop? Um, and what would you recommend to her about maintaining a life balance during the difficult training years? Good. Okay. So these formative years are massively important. Uh, We have to recognize that these guys are uh, fairly green, fairly wide-eyed and uh, need to be protected to a degree, but also need enough exposure so that they are building confidence. A couple of things that I think build confidence. First one is knowledge. And I would encourage all people at this stage to be getting a very, very firm foundational knowledge in the sciences that are underpinning emergency medicine. And if, if Joe is an ACCS trainee, I think that is a fantastic um, uh, scheme to, to be on, to be exposed to acute medicine, emergency medicine and anaesthetics. I wish I had had that as a junior trainee. So 
that exposure is there. It's there to be had. She needs to be hungry for it. She needs to be working hard in her rotations, but in the background needs to be hungry for the knowledge. The knowledge feeds enthusiasm and it feeds your development as a doctor. If the reading is not there, that enthusiasm will begin to dry up. And um, if it is there, then the desire to know more and the desire to become more expert will develop. So I would encourage lots of reading, lots of talking with senior colleagues, and then interspersing that with hanging that knowledge on the patients that they see on a day-to-day basis. Have you any suggestions for how departments and senior colleagues could support learning it seems that you know the 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 training years particular particularly in emergency medicine can be quite draining quite can be quite long can be quite a lot of out of hours work and i can't speak for everyone but i can imagine some will find it very hard to go away from long shifts and, and stress in the job to then sit down and have a constant drive to learn and read so what could departments do or what could uh, consultants do to support learning or encourage learning for trainees? Excellent, Owen. So I totally understand that there is a pressure of time outside of work. Um, equally, I think we have a responsibility as doctors to devote time to our learning. So there is a balance to be had and you and I think we're going to talk about balance quite a lot uh, throughout the podcast but the balance needs to be um, weighed at this stage towards getting that as the job suggests a firm foundational knowledge that you can then build clinical knowledge upon as departments how do we support that well I think we build into our daily activity the process of learning and the process of getting across vital basic information, vital science information that clinical information can then be built on. You need that bedrock if you are going to um, develop an excellent clinical problem solving level of understanding. So one of the things that certainly we do in Edinburgh, and I know that you guys are very active at in Glasgow as well, and we certainly pursue very closely with the MRS, is a transfer of knowledge amongst each other. We share knowledge up and down the chain. So if, if one of the trainees has done a bit of reading recently on a particular subject, I will get them to tell me about that. They can teach me. And in likewise, in response, if there's something that I, I think I can get across to them in a short, succinct manner, hand over five or ten minutes. Um, for example, we talked just the other day about ACC, uh, ACS drugs and how do they act? What's their mechanism of action? Can be done very, very quickly. So Joe is now uh, ST3 and she's back in your hospital. And you notice your first impression is she seems a little bit more weary. She's not the bubbly self she was as, as an ACCS first year. And she she tells you, look, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm finding it hard. The hours are challenging. The thought of exams and I'm trying to study. And I'm just wondering, is my, my um, life balance not maybe a, as good as it should be? So she comes to you for advice. And I was just wondering what you would tell a trainee um, who's maybe finding it a little bit challenging. So... 
first of all, it's not an unusual circumstance. Emergency medicine training is tough and we have to recognise that we all have highs and lows. It's a, These things oscillate quite a lot. Um, I am obviously concerned if I was Joe's educational supervisor that would give me an opportunity to ask her would she be willing to talk with me about these things and we could have a look and try and define the factor or factors that might be making this particularly bad at the moment is it something particularly at work which is bringing this out as a feeling is there anything that we could tackle by way of shift patterns um, I think we're recognising more and more that less than full time training equally with less than full time working is perhaps the way to sustain both training and career um, and NHS England have just recommended that um, along with the GMC that part time training should be encouraged should trainees want it so I think we must be supportive. I think we must be understanding. I think we must provide whatever remedies that, that we can. And I think to go along and say, look, emergency medicine is, uh, can be a bit of a storm at times. Learn to, learn to bend in that wind and know whenever bending is not enough and you need to take shelter. Um, so... I think there, there are things that we can offer to help that. It should never be ignored. It should always be taken heed of. So Jo is now ST6. She's got through her exams and she's beginning to see um, life as a consultant uh, on the horizon. So she comes to you for advice and she says, Randall, what would you recommend for me? What should I be thinking about? What steps and plans should I be taking to get the most of being a consultant? Uh, what would you advise? So uh, incredibly important time and uh, this wasn't that long ago for me. So this was about eight years ago and it is a fulcrum point in your life and in your career. So I think I would tend to think about it in a couple of ways. I would think about the, the, the work side of things and I would be, I would be beginning to ask questions about what type of work does Joe want to pursue throughout her career? Does she have a special interest? Is she subspecialty trained? Is there some research perhaps that Joe is interested in? Um, these are the these are the important work practical type of things that Joe's going to need to think about when she's applying for a particular job. Equally, there are the side of things where Joe is going to need to be happy where she is. So physically, geographically where she is, she's going to need to be happy with the type of hospital that she's working in. Does she want to work in a large teaching hospital, major trauma centre, trauma unit, as we will soon have, gladly in Scotland? And that will help form Joe's future career and happiness in, in her career. So these are all important things. The other side of things which is vital is who does Joe want to work with? So 
Your colleagues are like your family and you need to respect, have mutual respect. You need to have a degree of, I think, admiration for, which is totally due. And uh, you need to be able to work together. And usually that involves a mixture of talents and a mixture of personalities. So Joe needs to find somewhere where she can fit in as an individual and as a personality. So it's a tall order, but it's very doable. And there are, in emergency medicine in particular, I think, I think we are a very close-knit family. And we can all use those talents happily to the benefit of our patients if we just look hard enough. On the other side of things... Probably more importantly, I would argue, Joe has to have a happy life, life proper outside of work. And I'm a big believer in, and I would always advise my trainees, do not build your life around your work. Build your work around your life. The life has to be at the core of it. If your life is happy, your work will be happy. If your life is not so happy, it's difficult to be happy at work, I think. So get those things right. Joe, I think, will be a happy lady. So you'd be glad to know this might be the last situation I ask you about, Joe. But let, let, let's do one last one, if you don't mind, Randall. So Joe is now a consultant, maybe been out for maybe a year or so, let's say. And she's very happy with um, the location of her work and, and her colleagues. And she's quite content within her job. But I think the realisation has just kicked in that this is me for the next 30 years. And, you know, some of her colleagues are a little bit older. There's grumblings around, oh my goodness, this job's getting more difficult, more stressful. Can I sustain this for 30 more years? So again, she comes to you for advice. What would you say to someone at this stage of their career? And how how could they make the most of their life, both professionally and outside of work, um, to, to make this next 30 years an enjoyable 30 years in emergency medicine? So very topical, Owen, and certainly uh, a topic that uh, I've definitely considered in, in recent years, and I know my colleagues have. So emergency medicine, particularly now that the pension hits 67, uh, this is a marathon and we're, we're not in a sprint so this has to be a sustainable uh, aerobic as opposed to anaerobic race. And we, we need to be able to have mechanisms by which we can cope with this over a prolonged period of time. So a couple of things I would think about. The things that we are exposed to every day in emergency medicine are unusual. We witness big injury, big suffering, large amounts of pain. We have the opportunity to use our skills and use our knowledge to make those things right for patients. That's the joy in it all. We have to be able to absorb all of that stress on a daily basis for a very long period of time. I think there's a couple of things to think about. I think that less than full time working should be considered by all consultants. And that obviously has knock-on effects. I think it has financial knock-on effects for us as individuals. 
that we need to plan for if that's the route that we do wish to go down. I think that models our lives as well so that if we can have early plans about how we design our lives, how we meet our responsibilities, our financial responsibilities, and how we plan for that, both in the short term and the long term, I think that puts us in a very strong, reduced stress situation. And if we can know that we are well planned out for the future, I think that helps us on a day-to-day level in terms of being content and being happy. In terms of the sustainability of the career, then hopefully Joe will have chosen a unit, an ED, where she is happy. It sounds as if she's happy. And hopefully Joe can sustain that for the the medium term. But for the long term, maybe Joe does not foresee herself, particularly if she has children and a family. Maybe this is not something Joe wants to be doing at a level of 10 or 12 sessions per week. So Maybe Joe wants to be looking at other things which can reduce the exposure on the ED floor a little bit. The ED floor, I think, is maximum stress, maximum exposure. And if we can temper that slightly by planning in other things which we're all uh, able to do, so education research, involvement in courses, involvement in nurturing the juniors as they come up through the ranks. There are lots of things that we can do that reduce our floor exposure, but it's a balance. You've got to have enough floor exposure to allow you to continue to be an excellent clinician. And it's just getting that balance. So hopefully Joe will will find the balance and look to her colleagues, importantly, to help her find that balance. So another thing that people said when I was asking them about you, Randall, was Randall is just one of the busiest people I know. He just seems to have a hundred different interests and activities and and seems to keep himself very busy with his pre-hospital work, expedition, medicine work, your, 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 your training work, which we'll get on to in a wee second. So is busyness... Um, a solution or, or, or is that helpful to a happy life in emergency medicine? Would you recommend that, that people don't forget to, to fill their lives with lots of other interests and activities? Has that been helpful for you? Massively, Owen. Um, I, I think that uh, if what's been really helpful for me is if I have always kept um, centred around the fact that my life comes first and that emergency medicine has to be built around that. That has always centered me, if you like. The things that have helped me do that have been my close friends and family. And um, they help me retain a certain amount of perspective. But I think being busy is a is a useful thing. We talked a little bit earlier about the junior trainee situation and about how you need to feed that furnace of enthusiasm. So I have always found that if I trickle feed my my interest with 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 new things, with with learning 
and with a little bit of cumulative knowledge, then that has helped me massively. It, it helps keep my enthusiasm for my job. It helps me, very importantly, feel confident in my day-to-day job. And um, the recent, particularly the recent work um, with Paceline has, has just really shown me that in a very, very real way. Um, so being busy, I think, is good. I think it has to be controlled so that if you always leave just a little bit of elasticity in your life, it allows you to absorb the extra stresses whenever they come. And it's important to have that. So you mentioned Paceline there, Randall. I was wondering, um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? I know that's been a big interest in your life and has taken up a lot of your time recently. So would you like to tell us a wee bit more about that? Um, So about three years ago, I just began to take a bit more of an interest in the basic sciences behind emergency medicine. It was born out of probably my own waning knowledge of basic science because it's been quite a few years since I studied the clinical sciences and um, I felt that our senior trainees actually had a really good deal. I think that the preparation for the uh, the FRCM exam um, is excellent for senior trainees. I, I, I know that for example, Laura McGregor is doing some great work at the Sim Centre um, and has put together a great course for the senior trainees there to prepare them for the exam. I just wondered that, are we being equally attentive towards our junior trainees who are preparing for the relatively recent um, recently updated FR Chem primary exam, which, as you know, is basically pure science but applied to clinical situations. It's a very tough exam and it takes doctors all the way back to their anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, haematology, all of these very important basic clinical sciences, which I think we shy away from slightly and I think that if we look at, for example, anaesthesia, they have been for a very, very long time, very well founded in their basic sciences. And their examination has been set up for many, many years to to really test their junior trainees on basic sciences. I wanted to develop a course that helped trainees distill the information not only that they need for the exam but information that they need to be able to problem solve for a career and it's been massively rewarding and i'm very excited about it so where can people find out more about it so a couple of things so there is a uh, a website we have a website um www.pacelinemedical.com and you'll see the courses uh, outlined on that. Uh, we run the course twice a year in line with the um, twice a year sitting of the FR Chem primary. And we aim to run it about eight, 10 weeks before the exam so that people can get the benefit of the course and then run towards the exam with that preparation behind them. 
So we will add some links to some of Randall's work and the Paceline stuff in, in the show notes if you want to check it out there. So Randall, I thought we would move on to what your feelings were on the future of emergency medicine in the UK. Um, and if you were in charge, what would you do? Wow, there's a scary question. Um, so I feel that emergency medicine is still the best specialty to be in as a doctor. I think it makes you a complete doctor. I think that we give patients a great service in the UK. And I look at the real leaders. I look at Taj Hassan uh, and he is inspirational. I, I follow him on Twitter. I follow him in the news and I like what he's doing for emergency medicine. Um, I think that the short and medium and long term look at how we solve the problems is the way to go. Um, I think that pushing for funding for frontline services is absolutely required at the moment. I think England is having a particularly tough time at the minute. Um, I think that the the guys who came before me... Um, Certainly in Edinburgh, uh, we were lucky enough to have people like Alistair Gray, uh, who were uh, preparing the workforce already ahead of time. And um, we are lucky in Scotland that we've got a superb workforce, not only in medicine, but in emergency nursing as well. And I think the outlook is rosy. I think we need to improve our uh, numbers of trainees. I think that if we do that and if we keep up with the 6% rise in attendances per year at departments, I think we could continue to deliver an excellent service. I think some of the things that we need are quite practical. I think a lot of departments need more space and um, I think that would improve working conditions. It would improve conditions for patients in departments. Things would feel less crowded. And I think it would improve flow around departments. But of course, that flow, as we all know, continues throughout the hospital. And if we can work with our hospital colleagues to maintain and optimise flow at the other end, where patients are leaving the hospital and they're going out again into the community. We need community resources. And I know the college has been instrumental in taking that forward. So in short, I think emergency medicine is exciting. I think the research in emergency medicine at the minute is superb. The uh, FOMED uh, type resources, which I know you're heavily involved with Owen, are, are excellent. And um, we have a fantastic group of trainees coming through particularly throughout Scotland I think we're extremely lucky So you clearly have a lot of interests outside of purely clinical emergency medicine you do your pre-hospital, you've done your Antarctic you've got disaster medicine experience so lots lots of interesting aspects to your work so I was wondering looking back on your career are there any clinical pearls that you could give other people who, who are, are, are pursuing a career in emergency medicine or if you could go back in time and teach your junior self just starting out what what are the few little pearls that you've gained in your experience that you would like to pass on okay so um 
I, I think first and foremost is don't worry. Things will be fine. The training's good. The training prepares you well for your career. Be confident. Not cocky. Be confident in your abilities. You're there to serve your patients. Your patients will be served very well by you. If you care about them, if you treat them as you would have a family member treated, has always been a good measure for me. So whenever I see a patient, I would say, listen to them very carefully. As Harry Smith taught me as a GP trainee, take an incisive history. History taking is not a passive experience. It's active. You need focused questions answered accurately by the patient, particularly in emergency medicine, where you need to arrive at a diagnosis quickly and accurately. So listen carefully. That's probably the best thing I could say. Um, In terms of non-clinical, I would say enjoy your career. Listen to your colleagues. Have an openness with both medical and nursing staff. Be willing to accept constructive criticism whenever it comes, but equally be willing to accept um, some of the nice things that might be said and uh, to welcome those things and to really take them home and and cherish them for what they are. It's very, very important. Um, So if you get a great X, then put it up on your computer. So for those that don't know what a grey tax is, it's it's a little system that some departments have adopted where you permit people to anonymously say something positive about one of your colleagues. So if anyone's gone that extra mile or done something particularly impressive, you can fill out a little note and then that note will get um, put into a little um, certificate that can be sent to that individual. So it's the opposite of the day tax, the kind of incident reporting system, but it just adds a little bit of positivity um, to people who deserve it in the department. And we don't always get a lot of positivity in our work. So it's a nice little system just to pass it on. So we're going to ask audiences to, to ask some questions, if that's okay. But this is our very, very first podcast. So technically, as we record this, we don't have any listeners. (laughs) But we did put out a a request for questions on Twitter, and we did get one. Oh, nice. So hopefully the number of questions will increase as our listenership increases. I like it. But we have one question, and this was actually from Phil Monroe, who I'm sure you know. And he's asked, so one path to sustainable working is part-time for older doctors. And he says older doctors, it could be even for, for younger consultants, but... Um, but bearing in mind most of the hours will be out of hours, what do you think is a minimum number of hours to remain effective and credible in emergency medicine? Wow, that is a great question from a great man. Uh, one of my heroes, I have to say, Phil Monroe. Um, so uh, Phil will know this a lot better than I will, but um, my own thought on that for what it's worth is I don't think that you can reduce that to a number of hours. I think that it will depend on the individual. We are all very, very different. And 
I think that what we do in the emergency department is very dependent upon a quiet confidence as an individual. And as long as an individual is feeling that quiet confidence and not feeling exposed and not feeling that they are doing a disservice to their patients, I think probably for me that would be the, the best measure. I totally recognize what Phil is saying about the out of hours working. And we're all working more out of hours and we'll continue to increase that as a proportion of our working time. But the good side of that is that personally, I find the out of hours work is where you will see a lot of the high acuity patients. So um, your skills will certainly be challenged and will certainly be kept up by working out of hours, I think. I think that we have to remain sustainable. We have to remain credible, not only for our our own um, peace of mind, but for our interactions with other specialties. So I think it's down to the individual. I think the individual should closely discuss it with their colleagues. And um, I think it has to be something that's almost kind of sniffed out a little bit. Um, but maybe in the future, we will have more rigorous um, guidelines on that. Randall, I can't thank you enough for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Oh. And you're clearly very positive about your career in emergency medicine. So I was wondering, would you provide a service where I could phone you every Monday morning <laughs> before I start my week's work? To just get a little bit of that positivity before I before I enter a week is, is that is that is that doable? Any time, very kind of you. Well, look, thank you very very much. I, I wondered whether there was any last parting comments, any last little uh, reinforced ideas or thoughts that you would like to impress on our listeners. Um, I think it is um, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you, Owen, and uh, I, I hope it's of some use to the guys listening. Um, I clearly don't have all of the answers, but uh, I hope that um, emergency medicine continues to draw um, the very, very best um, in Scotland, uh, as we have done in years past. Um, I think we can continue to be great. Uh, We certainly have the ingredients of prosperity for the future. And um, it's an absolute pleasure to work with all of my colleagues in emergency medicine. They are inspirational. Um, They are each and every one superheroes. They should wear capes every day to work, I think, Owen. Well, I think that's a good way to finish with that thought. I can think of a few people in my mind now with capes on. (laughs) Um, So, Randall, thank you very, very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Owen. Thanks. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, It was very refreshing for me. I think it's very easy to feel quite negative about emergency medicine as a career, and particularly when you think of the, the, the coming 30 to 40 years in the job, when the stress seems to be building, increasing, and the resources to cope don't seem to necessarily match uh, that increasing stress. So I thank you, Randall, for showing us um, some optimism uh, for the future. 
Um, I think my major take-home points are that we are extremely lucky and, and should feel honoured to be in the position that we are to look after people when they're at their most um, in need. And I think we can't necessarily expect the system to change sufficiently to make this a more enjoyable or sustainable career. I think we have to make active steps and plans ourselves to make it a more sustainable job for the future. So ensure that our lives outside of medicine are are what is important and that they are as content as they can possibly be. I think educate ourselves as much as we can. And that might include the sciences, like what Randall was suggesting with his paceline um, education. And consider ways to reduce time on the shop floor. I think that's not something people can sustain for 30, 40 years with that amount of pressure. So think of research, education, specialist training, and perhaps even part-time may be what's appropriate for some people. And I think, above all else, just be nice to everyone. Be nice to your patients, be nice to your colleagues, and look after each other. Thank you very much for listening. This has been the Simungos podcast. Please check out our website for more details and for lots more educational resources at www.stmungos-ed.com. Many thanks for listening. Take care.